Hello, my name is Ran, and this is the Flow Artist Podcast. Every episode, we interview inspiring movers, thinkers, and teachers about how they find their flow and much, much more. If you practice or teach yoga, movement, or meditation, then this is the podcast for you. We've got you covered. Now, I hope you're having an excellent day. Since our last episode, I launched the new website for our studio, Garden of Yoga, and I've got to say I'm really happy with how it's gone. There are a few small hiccups here and there, but all in all, it's been going great. And we've had a rush of new people visiting the studio in the last week or so, and I figure that's just what happens in the new year. So it's been really good meeting lots of new faces. So back to today's episode. This episode features a recorded conversation between myself, co-host Joe Stewart, and Anthony and Dominique Salerno. Dominique and Anthony are the individuals behind iconic Melbourne yoga studio, Australian Yoga Academy. I was very excited to catch up with these guys at their beautiful new studio on Clifton Street because AYA is where I did my own yoga teacher training and I've got many fond memories of taking classes with the two of them. Past guests of the podcast, Karina Smith, Mark Feely and Joe Buick all cite Anthony and Dominique as some of their key teachers and I estimate that they've trained hundreds of yoga teachers since they set up their teacher training program in 2005, so they've been really influential in shaping the Melbourne yoga landscape. Now, I knew part of their story before Joe and I spoke with them, but I feel they really opened up and told us some really interesting parts of their personal and professional history. Alright, so before we start the conversation, I've got a huge favour to ask of you. Now, Joe and I have entered the Flow Artist Podcast into the Australian Podcast Awards. Now, we know it's a long shot, there is some really steep competition, but we would absolutely love it if you could vote for us. Now, we're not doing this for the accolades, I'm not even sure what that would look like, but I believe it's a great way to introduce this podcast to a wider audience. And I'll leave a link in our show notes, so please, please vote for us. All right, that is more than enough from me. I've talked for way too long. Here is the conversation with Anthony and Dominique. Thanks so much, Dominique and Anthony, for uh, speaking with us today. It's great to finally be able to catch up with you. Um, a beautiful new studio. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's amazing here. It's fantastic. Now, you both discovered this path of yoga at a fairly young age. Would you like to tell us a little bit about how did that come about? Well, we've probably got two separate stories, but my, <laughs> my um, story is probably that I was really lucky. I got into this, well, kind of got exposed to spirituality and personal development when I was about 17, um, and that was through my dad. Uh, my dad was 40 at the time, and he was going through some changes himself, and um, he... Was an art, he's an artist and that's what he always wanted to do with his life but he was made to go out and work you know and go to the family car yard and so on and so when by the time my dad got to 40 he decided he wanted to do what he really wanted to do in his own life and he got involved in in meditation and reiki and so i got dragged along to a some meditation classes and a reiki course at, when i was 17 and that really that really triggered something in me immediately you know i think when i was younger you know as a child i wanted to, the only thing i actually remember wanting to be was a priest when i was about seven or eight and that was because i was brought up in the christian religion and and uh, so i obviously had some kind of thing there that that needed to come out but then as i went went through my teenage years i really turned against the formal religious 
tradition and a lot of things didn't make sense anymore. And so I went through a period as a teenager just going, well, I don't believe in anything because I didn't know there was any other options, basically. And then once I discovered this whole other world there and other religions and other types of spirituality, that thing really triggered again for me. And so from there, I you know started reading and studying and in this area and to that point I'd never read a book you know I got through school and without ever reading an actual book <laughs> and you know so that was the first time I actually started doing any reading and studying and and, nothing. and now you've written books <laughs> <laughs> yeah so really just you know that, that that's kind of how it started for me and it wasn't a yoga thing it was really just a a personal development thing for me and then progressed from there. My story is actually not dissimilar, even though I, I grew up on the other side of the world. I was born in Johannesburg and I wanted to be a nun when I was little. <laughs> and so not, not a dissimilar path to Anthony became more and more disenfranchised with religion, I think mainly because it was shoved down my throat. And then later on when I was more aware, became pretty disillusioned with it. And then I probably have to credit Anthony with really opening my eyes to a lot of this side. We met at university and Anthony was actually running small meditation <laughs> classes from his dorm room. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> I went through a preacher stage yes. at university and I just started on He this had path, the yeah. long hair and the beard <laughs> and it was all happening. This mystical figure. <laughs> um, and he was actually going out with a good friend of mine and we got to know one another and ended up being flatmates. And whilst we were flatmates, obviously got talking to Anthony. He recommended some books to me. And there's one book in particular that I'd, I'd credit with really, I don't know, there was a, a definite shift after I read it that was palpable, was Conversations with God by mm. Neil Donald Walsh. It's a bit au fait now, but, you know, 25 years ago it was, it was cutting edge. Mm. And from there, that fundamental shift and then talking to Anthony, then after we finished university, our relationship blossomed into something more than just flatmates and getting to know his family. And secondly, I think I'd really have to give a lot of credit to Martine and Tony Salono. For me anyway, they were real trailblazers and they really showed me it was possible to make a living doing something that you love. Mm. And Anthony and I finished uni, he went to work in law, I went to work in PR and recruitment. And then one day we both just came home from work and looked at each other. We were only 22, so fetuses, but came home from work, looked at each other and, and sort of asked, well, is this what we want to be doing for the next 30, 40 years? I think we already knew that we didn't, although we both went to uni had started our careers, I think I was sure that I didn't really want to do that for the rest of my life. And so after about two and a half years of other work, we kind of decided that it was time to go and do what we really wanted to do with our life, you know, rather than spend the rest of our lives working. And not that we both, we didn't mind what we were doing. It's not that we hated it, but I'd much rather do something that I really loved because you are going to spend your whole life working. That's the way it is. And so spending it doing something you don't really want to do, it can make life hard to get through. And at that stage, we sold our house and we put every cent that we had in the world into our first place, which was called Blue Angel Centre for Wellbeing. So we kind of put it all on the line. And I mean, it looked kind of crazy probably from the outside because, you know, having... It was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we've opened this place and neither of us really had 
too much direction as to how it was going to unfold for us. So we were lucky. We treated Blue Angel as a bit of a proving ground and a training ground and a laboratory. I went and studied a postgraduate diploma in holistic counselling. Anthony at that stage really dove into his Reiki and his study of philosophy. I had been introduced to yoga very briefly at university. There were other things that were much more interesting to me at the time. Um, so it was just a very, yeah, lots of party. But, but you know, was introduced to it briefly and it caught my attention. Then when we went into to Blue Angel, I was really adamant that we needed to have a yoga teacher there. We trialled a couple and then ended up settling with a really amazing guy who still teaches around the traps. His name's Malcolm H. Clark. And he was a really amazing influence on me and took me under his wing and I worked a lot with him. He helped us in the business as well. He was, I don't know, he must have been 15 years older than us or something. Mm. And he'd had a shop before and we had nothing but, you know, a purpose. So he really helped us a lot in, in the business and with the yoga. And, but that's ultimately yeah. how I started teaching, quite by accident. Mm. I'd been training and practicing with Malcolm and then one day he called in sick and I said to him, all right, well, I'll just put a sign up on the door that class is cancelled. He said, no, you won't. <laughs> he said, you take the class. So, Okay. <laughs> And um, he ended up being sick for the next two weeks. And I loved it so much that by the time he came back, it was a very awkward conversation we had to have. And I said, listen, I'm sorry, but I actually really like this. I'm going to take the classes over. And then it was a mad scramble and a dash for me to to, do some teacher training after the first. (laughs) So it was a typical typical Dominique style, you know, going going about things, putting the cart before the horse. I think it's a nice way to say it. But... um, and Dominic's very good at just, uh, as, as I think people that know her know, that she's very good at just pulling things out of the ether when she needs to. And so that was kind of one of them that she just hit the ground and just figured it out. And she didn't really probably know what she was doing so much and hadn't done her training yet, but she was. people were loving it and people were enjoying coming to her classes. And I think it shows you that this is something, I suppose, in general for your teachers, it's not training's not the only thing and it's very much about doing something you love and putting all your heart into it and being passionate about it and also really caring you know I think that that's actually perhaps the most important thing is to care about your students but also be able to show that because you know a lot of people care but not everyone can even necessarily show that or some people struggle in in showing that and I think that that's really really important. Do you remember what it was in the first, those first classes that really, like, what did you love about it? It was that sense of connecting with people. And I felt like even though I knew I, I didn't know what I was doing, what I did feel confident in was the fact that these people were coming and they felt like they were being seen and they felt like they were being nurtured, albeit clumsily. And I felt like I was being fed through that as well. And I think that that's, that's something that no teacher training, no workshop can convey I was wondering if it actually came from your holistic counselling training. I don't. It's kind of around the around the same time. It was around the same time, but I I I can't credit the holistic counselling training with that. I I really believe that that's just a fundamental part of who I am, Mm. and that's in all my relationships. I I don't do small talk. It's anathema to me. So I think that's just part of who I am. And then I was lucky enough to find an avenue and find something that allowed me to tap 
tap into that and to use that. You touched on this as well, Anthony. Like so much of teaching is connecting with people mm. and sharing what you love and yeah. that can be what makes people, I guess, what can make a good teacher yeah. who has a lot of technical knowledge into a great yeah, of teacher. Course. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we all have that within us. Mm. Is there something that you notice as you run your teacher trainings that can kind of get in the way of that, whether it's people's own insecurities or feeling self-conscious or maybe just not having the tools to express themselves? What I've noticed over the years is that, and even with already established teachers that sort of come to me and express some frustration about class numbers etc etc you have to be a little bit comfortable with being vulnerable if you're going to bridge that gap in a relationship if you're going to invite someone to be vulnerable and to share with you you've, you've got to zip yourself open and share that space as well and I think that for some people they're uncomfortable and a little bit protective and it's it's ballsy putting yourself out there like that in that very vulnerable, open way. But I find that students will very quickly forgive a teacher that might not be technically perfect, might not, you know, know all the ins and outs. Might get some lefts and rights mixed up. Exactly. They might get some lefts and rights mixed up. They might miss a pose on this side. Their anatomy might not be their strong suit. But if that teacher is having fun, being themselves and connecting with the people in the room. Students are, are much... Those are the teachers the, that... Key, yeah, yeah. Maybe to backtrack a little bit, where did you do your teacher training? The first ever teacher training I did was with a gentleman whose name I can't remember. <laughs> so, anyway. And he came to Blue Angel and did a month-long teacher training intensive. And so that was the swap, if you like, that we did with him. He could use the space and invite other people, fee-paying students to come if I could sit in for gratis, which was which was great. But really the work that I was doing with Malcolm prior to all of that, I'd say, was that first real training. I, wasn't, I didn't know it at the time, but that's what was actually going on. After that, I went and did some more formal study, a 12-month course. And this was back in the day where all teacher training was 12 months as a minimum with the Australian College of Classical Yoga here in Melbourne and that was amazing not very focused on asana at all which I think was not a bad thing very focused on the sutras meditation and I'd say jnana yoga so that yoga of discernment and intellect so for me the asana a lot of it it came from from Malcolm but then a lot of it was self-taught until I then probably in about 2005, Six. 2006, really started getting into Ashtanga and so then went and did further teacher training specifically in Ashtanga overseas. As I said, a, um, a proper, it was more than two months of living training for Ashtanga in Thailand, which was wonderful. That actually all kind of happened at a really interesting time. It was We had just finished running our first teacher training and that first intake of teacher training, it was super exciting, but I was broken by the end of it. I was writing it and delivering it all by myself. I taught the whole thing, which seemed like a really good idea at the time. I wrote the whole thing and had Yoga Australia breathing down my neck at the same time because they, and fair enough, they had some issues with someone so young running a teacher <laughs> training. And I think there were some grumbles from some some of the other established teachers about who this upstart was. Um, and I was really grateful for that because one of the best things you can do to motivate me is to tell me I can't do something. <laughs> then look out. And so 
went through this really intense 12 months of writing, delivering, trying to prove myself to Yoga Australia along the way. By the time I finished that, that first year, I was spent. So I, I spoke to Anthony, went and did this eight-week training in Thailand. And then by the time I came back from that, wasn't even convinced I wanted to teach yoga well, I Anymore. was going to say, most people would go to Thailand and lie on a beach, mm. but you wouldn't get an intensive two months training. And it was intensive. It was really, it, it, again, I, I'd probably pinpoint that as another moment of, of just a huge fundamental shift that there was no coming back from. And I didn't quite know what to do with that. It was really confusing. So poor Anthony, I um, came home from Thailand and informed him that I was done. I was done, I was dusted, I was done with the marriage, I was done with the yoga, I was done with everything. I was packing my kid up and going overseas and he was actually amazing. I think it's in those moments when you get really tested that spirituality and the strength of really walking your talk shines through and I'd say for him it certainly does because he didn't get pissed off with me. He was very supportive, not happy about it, but very supportive and said, if this is what's going to make you, <laughs> but ultimately said, if this is what you really want to do and this is what's going to make you happy, then go and do it. And he said, don't worry about AYA, don't worry about Australian Yoga Academy, I'll keep it going for as long as you want me to. And he did. I don't, I don't know anyone else that would have done that. Hello, just Ran here popping in for a short interlude. While I've got your attention, I'd just like to ask you to please share, review or subscribe to the Flow Artist Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts from. While you're at it, why don't you join the Flow Artist Podcast community on Facebook and let us know how you feel about our episode so far. Alright, that's enough from me. Let's get back to our chat with Dominique and Anthony. And so how is all of this from your point of view? Because it sounds pretty full on. It from was really full on and it was, you know, it was unexpected. So, you know, it was it caught me by surprise and it was shocking and stunning. And But I do believe that, you know, whatever's going on is there to teach us something. And so, you know, as much as it wasn't what I wanted, I knew I just had to say, okay, universe, if this is what's going on, then there must be something in it and just show me. I just tried to do the best that I could with it and, and I, I definitely didn't want to give a way out. You know, and to that point, to, to be honest, so we started out at Blue Angel together, but then we, after four years, so we started Blue Angel in 2000, but in 2004 we sold Blue Angel and we actually went into and, and started AYA on its own. But it was really Dominique's thing. I was teaching my own courses, not in yoga, I was just in per- some personal development courses and, and Reiki I was teaching and, and I was doing private sessions and so on. But but once when Dominique decided she was going overseas, I was like, well, I'm not letting AYA go. And so that was one blessing and that was where I got involved more heavily in AYA and kind of took it over and, and, and started taking care of it. And I started to study the yoga philosophy and so that's where my kind of role came in but but yeah on a, on a personal level it was simply a matter of it's easy to to believe what you believe when everything's going how you want it to but it's this stuff is only useful when it's actually difficult so I just tried my best to apply what I was teaching everyone else mm. you know and and you know it was interesting because I'd find that when I was thinking oh my god why is this happening we should be together because I really believed we were supposed to be together uh, <laughs> despite what was going on I noticed that when I was doing that I was suffering badly like really badly but when I could shift my mind and go, you know what, you, this is meant to be, then my, the suffering kind of 
it's really dissolved away. And so, you know, I really saw that it is your mind controlling your experience. It's not what's happening. You know, it's not the circumstances of your life. It is, it is actually how you're treating that mentally that dictates your experience. And, you know, so as I said, I could be in hell one moment and suffering and crying, you know, and really, really upset. And then in another moment, I could be completely okay with where it was at but all based on where my mind was. So it was, it was a, a good practice. I think it's such a powerful observation that, yep, these are all practices that we can do that benefit in our everyday lives mm. when we practice them on our mats. But like mm. when life really tests yeah. us with something, it's like, oh, that's what these practices are for, yeah. to help us yeah, navigate yeah. all that's of right. that really huge stuff. That's it, and, yeah. And, you know, so that you know allowed Dominique to the space to do what she needed to do and it didn't turn into a disaster and, you know, like it can. And... Uh, and, uh, yeah, it gave her the space and she spent a year overseas, you know, in Thailand, living at the at Yoga Thailand where she initially went and, and got to spend a couple of months in India, you know, with Patabi Joyce and in the Ashtanga in Mysore. And, and I was just waiting for her to come back. <laughs> uh, and, um, look, eventually she did what she needed to. And, and so was there a turning point for you when you realised this is where I want to be and this is who I want to be with? Oh, no, he had to work for that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I look, it, when it was time to come home, it was, it was, just, it was just time to yeah. come home. I still wasn't convinced of, of anything. But came home, my yoga journey obviously was just really strengthened in my time away. It was, it was, um, it, was, ma- it was massive for me. I got to, was so lucky to, to meet and work with teachers that I only ever read about and to actually study Ayurveda, study Sanskrit, study. Um, yeah, yeah completely of, dedicated to that as opposed to teaching. Of, like, yeah. yeah, real immersion, which was, was wonderful. But I still didn't quite know how, what all of that meant in coming home, I just knew it was time to come home. And then once once I was back, got back into teaching again, you know, there's only so long I can leave Anthony running away on his own. So, yeah, came came back and, yeah, we ended up getting back together, yeah, reason, <laughs> reasonably quickly. And then we opened the St Edmunds Road space, which was our – it ended up being, up until now, our longest-running space in 2009. 2008. 2008. Yeah, so it was 10 years, you know, when we mm. moved in June. And that, look, that, that really, that time that Dominic spent was just enormous, you know, for her, but also just for, for the for AIA because I think that she stepped up a whole bunch of levels, you know, in that. And when she came back, I think that energy was was there and, and AIA made a, a huge leap after that in those years after from 2008 on and nothing I think from from you know from 2000 to then it was like anything that you start you're struggling and you're trying to figure it out and we didn't know what we were doing and we were trying to figure out what we we're doing and we we're trying to survive in the business and all that kind of stuff but it was after that from 2008 onwards that things really kind of picked up for us it sounds like before you went away your teaching was a little bit more on the philosophical side of things from the classical yoga training that you did and ashtanga is obviously such a strong physical practice i'd just like to know like when you felt like you got back was that where the evolution of the AYA style kind of began and your own teaching kind of shifted? Or do you want to take me through yeah, that? Well, no. So it's, in, it's interesting that you say that and I can understand how you've drawn that conclusion based on, on what we were saying. But even though the, the one of the formal trainings I did was very much philosophy and meditation based, I'm a really physical 
person and I'm, I'm so that's always there always she there and I've, I picked up very very quickly that people want to work hard they want to work really hard they like to feel as though they're being challenged I know I enjoy that obviously it's not advocating pushing or practicing with any tension or anything like that but I found almost that the harder I, I, I worked people the happier they were. And I so I know myself that the if I feel a sense of accomplishment in my physical body, that is what quietens my mind and my emotions. It's um it's it's a one way ticket to happiness for me. So the asana component and that particular style, if you like, was very much there. But there's something about for me anyway, in my experience, that Ashtanga tradition of committing to your up every morning six days a week and when when I was working and teaching overseas the teachers we all had to be up at three o'clock in the morning because you have to get your pranayama your uh, meditation and your asana which only gets longer and longer and longer you have to get that done before everyone else yeah before before everyone else rolls in for their practice at um, 6 37 in the morning and there was something about that for me that really it helped me to believe in myself a little bit more. Up until then, it was a disconnect. Like I, I felt like I was fluking it. I felt almost like a bit of an imposter. I, I, and I still sometimes go home to Anthony and say, they're going to figure out I'm a big faker. Anytime now, they're going to come with the pitchforks and chase me out of Not town. Not as much as in the first years. <laughs> I, think, I think with that particularly, because of the way she started, because she started teaching before she had even done, you know, teacher training and properly and it, there was that feeling from the beginning that, oh, I don't really know I'm what I'm really doing, even though even this. though people were loving it and, and she was, you know, doing well but she didn't really believe it deep down and I think that obviously, yeah, that time really training and getting stuck into it, you know, probably helped a lot. So have you got any advice for teachers now who have that moment of imposter syndrome? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't go away. <laughs> and and you know what? I, actually, I say this to my students often if you ever get to a point where you feel like you can walk away from your books you're done you're finished then then you're finished you know just just forget it and um, one of the things that really excites me about this path is that there's no such thing as a retired yogi you don't retire from your practice if anything it's it's the one thing I'm aware of that besides maybe being an artist that as you get older you only get stronger, you only get better with age and experience. So staying hungry and staying humble and remembering that when you know when you look at teachers like Nikki Knopf, you look at teachers like Richard Freeman, you look at all of these amazing senior contemporary teachers, Simon Borg Olivier is another really amazing one. It's easy to look at these people and feel a bit defeated and feel like, oh, well, I'm never going to be there. And I think that's a big mistake that people make, or teachers that that I speak to. I think that's a common error that you make looking over there and thinking, how am I going to get there? As opposed to remembering that we're all... We're all just where we are on the path. Some of us are 10 steps ahead in age and experience and some of us are 10 steps behind. But you just keep plodding along. And I don't. for me, I don't know that I'm ever going to shake that feeling of, oh, I'm not good enough. And I, I don't have a problem with it so much anymore. It's actually, I, I think it's, it's a good thing because I don't own this yoga. It's not mine. It's been passed down 
through generations and generations and generations. And there's a, there's a nice freedom in that because instead of thinking like I have to know everything and, and I have to, instead I can now just say, look, I'm, I'm a temporary custodian of this. It's been passed on to me. I don't know it all. I'm on my own path of learning and exploration. But if anyone wants to come along and hang out, me, hang out with me while I'm doing it, fantastic. And I think you just, you know, the one, what I would say is, is that you need to have to ensure that you don't let your fears stop you from doing what you really want to do and that's essential and you have to have the courage to do what's inside you even if you don't feel qualified or ready or capable because otherwise, you know, if we, if we let our fears stop us, they kind of just get bigger. But, you know, our fears can get reduced as well by going ahead and doing what we what we are afraid of. I think that's really important for, for people is to just go past their fear and go, you know, go do what they want to do despite their fear. And to, to remember as well that everyone has something to offer. I think people forget that again. I think by virtue of compa- comparing ourselves to other people and letting playing mind games with ourselves, we forget that you have something to offer. Even though you don't know everything yet, you still have something to offer your students. And if you can tap into that then I think that that can help get you past those roadblocks. And I think what you said like a little while back as well, you're like, oh, I'll never be like Mickey Mouse or Simon or Galuga. It's like, well, yeah, they're them. Yeah, like you're right. going to be you mm-hmm. and just a more evolved version of you. Yeah. And to use that feeling of maybe I don't know enough to like motivate you to learn more and to mm. practice more, but don't let it stand in the way Absolutely. of like sharing exactly. who you are yeah. and, and what you have to offer. Just as you've articulated, Joe, uses motivation rather than limitation. And I think that we just need to remind ourselves of that all the time. It's really easy, especially in today. The yoga-verse, I call it the yoga-verse, has changed so much. When we first started, there was just us and Yoga Tree and Elspelwick had just opened. So the first 10 years or so was us just actually educating people as to what this yoga yeah, business much. was. And, and with what, the, what there was, was it was quite traditional. It was very different than it is now. And with the, the advent of social media, that's just, you know, really changed and shifted things again. I think it, it can be easy in t- today's environment for teachers to be looking at, you know, images on Instagram and looking at stories on Facebook and, f- and feel a little bit defeated. I think as well that social media view is just such a little snapshot mm. of someone's life and the yeah. life of a yoga teacher. And you you meet a lot of aspiring yoga teachers and teachers on their journeys I'd love to know firstly was there ever a time when you really consciously decided that teaching teachers was going to be a really big part of what you do actually let's start with that yeah it was after I'd come back from India so I'd already written the course been through all of that and it wasn't until I came back with that sort of new fire and sense of I don't know connection and a, a little bit, a little bit more earned authority, if you like. That I came back and wasn't always convinced of this when I was telling it to myself, but was having more of a feeling and a message of okay, you have something to, to contribute. It's not perfect, but you've got something to offer. And the other trainings that were out there at the time, I still conduct myself like this. I actually. I'm not really across what everyone else is doing. I don't like to worry and think too much and because mm-hmm. for me that's a dangerous mental game to play. So really sort of focusing on the teacher training and always asking myself what would I have what would I have loved to have received in my training? And 
and even just when I'm planning my general classes now, it's always, okay, what, what do I love? What would I love to receive? And just going with that and trusting that the people that resonate with that message and that will find us. The people that do find you, do you feel like people have got a pretty kind of realistic perception about what life as a yoga teacher is like? Or whether sometimes there's a bit of an aspirational view, maybe a little bit of Instagram in the mix, that it's all just like handstands on the beach at sunset and like chilled chai conversations with your friends after class. Look, I think, I don't think you can generalise too much about how everyone's thinking when they come to the training. And there's definitely a percentage of people that come to it like that. They realise very, very quickly after spending time with Melanie and me in the teacher training, as you know, um, you realise very, very quickly that that's not what the journey at AYA is about. I get really excited when people come to teacher training interviews and tell me, I'm not interested in teaching, I'm interested in deepening my knowledge and my practice. That's when I get a little glint in my eye and a little wry smile because those are the people that inevitably halfway through the course realise that this is the magic and end up making amazing teachers. There's also people who come and they know for sure I want to teach, I want to open a studio, I want to do this, I want to do that. Fantastic, no problem. But not dissimilarly, those people also about halfway through the course find themselves realising that, oh, there's so much more to this than that outward expression. And in backtracking a little bit to you know our conversation earlier about you know what makes a good teacher, it's in my opinion that person who yoga teaching isn't just a part time gig. They're actually living, breathing yogis. That it's it, the teaching just ends up as a supplementary, almost limb, if you like. This was the same in my teacher training course that I did. A long time ago <laughs> and in runs there's actually a really big age range of people who come to yoga teaching mm. and I think sometimes older people especially maybe even people who are thinking about retiring from their full-time jobs maybe think oh I'm past it like it's too late to kind of try something new and kind of go back into training Would you like to speak a little bit about the different stages of life that you kind of notice in your teacher trainees and absolutely look I'm I'm heading into a different stage of of my life now I'm not a young and nubile 22 year old anymore and what I'm actually finding which is interesting is as I get um, a little bit more mature shall we say my students are also getting more mature the teacher training and I think that this is in part to just the culture that we cultivate here we attract a really broad mix of people so we've had everyone come through the course from one girl who had just finished VCE so I think she was even 18 years old when she started I think we actually had a year 12 once she was actually no she was that wasn't a good idea yeah, yeah. Like, well, I'm bringing pressure into your life yeah. changed our policy school (laughs) yes and all all the way through to people in their you know mid to late 60s who absolutely were coming at it to retrain and to regroup and and to go out and change their vocation but it's a very very broad mix that we have here and I, I really like that it's something that sits very nicely with me because to me it's saying that the energy and the community and the message that we are cultivating here is inclusive and you know that's what the yoga is all about we've actually spoken to a few people on the podcast who cite you guys as as some of their key teachers 
Like Joe Buick, Mark Feely, Karina Smith. I'm just wondering, how does that make you feel? Must be good. Look, those three names, I mean, they're... We're lucky to have, you know, had three people like that come through here. You know, they're all pretty amazing, turned into pretty amazing teachers. But um, look, it's, it's definitely an honour and it's humbling and it's, it's, it's nice because, I mean, you know, we're doing what we want to do because we feel called to do it. And the hope is, is that you're going to touch some people along the way. And so, I mean, it's nice to, to hear. It's, it's wonderful. And like Auntie, I couldn't have put it any better myself. You know, those three names, they are well respected, well-rounded, amazing teachers and human beings and proper yogis in their, <laughs> in their own right. And so to think that we have maybe held some space for them, um, supported them, created some opportunities along the way, to, if, if that's helped them in any way, then it's actually helped the broader yoga, which is that's awesome. And they're all really great examples of people who've really found their path and they're really doing their own thing but with that like, deep honour and respect for the tradition that they've come from. Yeah, and that's, that's a huge part of our message to not just the, the, gen, the, pub, the classes we have with the general public, but the teacher training as well. There's this amazing quote from an author whose name I can't remember, but the quote is, be yourself, everyone else is already taken. I think it's Oscar Wilde. It is Oscar Wilde, thank you. I had a little brain brain freeze there for a second. And so in the teacher training, we're saying and repeating again and again and again, please don't try and be a carbon copy of anyone else. Just find your own voice, honour yourself, be yourself, really unapologetically own all of your idiosyncrasies, become a connoisseur of your neuroses, as Ram Das says, and when you really are comfortable in your own skin and having fun and holding space, that's, that's it for me. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, and that's how we've kind of done our thing too. I mean, we've, as Dominic said earlier, we've never really worried what anyone else is doing and never really knew much about, you know, what was going on, but we just knew that we needed to do what was inside us. And that's the key in anything and it's the key for teachers. So it's natural that when you start, you would have people you admire and you tend to try and emulate them and copy your teachers. And that's the natural way to do it. But the, the really important thing is to then develop your own style and develop your own way of doing things and, and develop your, let your own personality come out because there's you know, no one can do you. So if you really find a way to bring yourself out then there's no competition and I guess that's definitely something that's a little bit easier to do if maybe you're naturally a little bit more extroverted and have a little bit of a performer element to your personality or also just if you're really clear in who you are and what you stand for mm. do you have any advice for maybe newer teachers or people a little bit shyer who are still kind of finding their way along that journey like how do you kind of bring who you are out of yourself and share it with the room if you're kind of not sure? It could only be done over time. Look, I'm not an not extroverted person and I'm the last person that would have been teaching, to be honest, anything because as at school I was the person that would take the day off if I had to do a speech and I would absolutely crap my pants. I would go bright red, I'd get up and nothing would come out. It was the last thing that I would ever want to do. But when I realised that this was the, the field that I was interested in and it was something that I had to overcome. And so it's something that you just have to start doing, you know. So if you're not confident with speaking, you just have to start speaking. And, you know, and, and that's something that I did when we started Will Angel. I was 
would be petrified for hours before, but I just started doing it. And even in terms of, we were clear on the field that we wanted to be in, but we weren't clear exactly what we wanted to do. We, we both knew we wanted to be in the general mind, body, spirit, health and wellbeing field, but not at all did we know what we wanted. And that's kind of partly why we started Blue Angel in the first place, because Blue Angel was like a bookstore. We had a room to do courses and we did yoga and meditation and, and then we had therapy rooms. So we kind of just did everything we could think of and put it all together and then just started with something. Right, because we spent a few you know time trying to figure out what, and then eventually we're like, let's just pick something and let's just get started. And I think that that's the key because you can't figure yourself out from sitting on the couch. You kind of got to start trying things. And so we only got clearer as we decided to start doing something. And and when we started, you know, we started learning and we started working, and we figured out pretty quickly that actually we don't really like the shop so much, but we do like teaching. The despite I was petrified of it. Once I started and got relaxed each session, I actually enjoyed it. So I'd be petrified to begin with. And this went on for years. Like literally it took me a good few years to, to kind of overcome that. But, but it's, it's the doing, you know, it's picking something, getting started, and, and you'll figure it out along the way and you'll get clearer on who you are and what you want to do along the way. You can't figure it all out from the beginning. You know, yes. and I think that's the problem. If you try to, to get to just get stuck, but fight, start with something you're interested in and, and start working on it and it'll unfold as you go. And also, Joe, just to, to come back to that question as well, I agree with everything that Anthony said just then, but I think that there is a definite... People need to acknowledge if you're not an extrovert and you're not a naturally bubbly person, I think there's perhaps an impression out there that you have to put that on, you have to have that in order to teach. And I think that that's a mistake that people make. So coming back to that Oscar Wilde quote, if you're naturally quiet, if you're naturally introverted, it doesn't mean that you don't have to then continue being true to yourself. That's that's the you know the antithesis of, of what we're all about here and, and the message that, that we're trying to convey. If you're naturally quiet, Honour that, own that, and the people who need that approach. And I, I don't, for, for whatever reason, Joe Buick is, is coming into my head now. Joe is a masterful teacher, absolutely committed yogi. I have, you know, the utmost respect for her. She's one of those people that is quiet, introverted, softly spoken, and she hasn't had to alter or change what she is. In fact, her natural state of being, I think, has really helped her to find her path and forge her way to where she is at the moment, you know, working with the beautiful Alice Hobday and the other people involved in state of being in that trauma-informed teaching. So I'm not sure if, if that, that, that's been clear or not, but you don't have to be waving your pom-poms and jumping up and down doing backflips. If that's not who no, you, you are, yourself, yeah. you mm. need to be yourself. So you don't have to force that. Mm. Perhaps practising... Public speaking is, I think, that that's really important for everyone. But finding a way to express the yoga in a way that is you, and that's the key. And I think as well, saying less can be really powerful. Like it doesn't have to be a massive song and dance. And maybe if you're feeling shy about teaching a huge room of people, mm. start with two or three people yeah. that yeah, you already sure. know and Absolutely. build your confidence that way. Mm. Absolutely. I think I could really take a leaf or two out of, you know, Karina and, and Joe's books especially. You know, no one can can hold space quite like Karina. She knows exactly how much space to leave and how many words, whereas I'm, I think, probably talk too much. 
Um, but, but yeah. Oh, that's 100% with my feedback. <laughs> Anytime I have, like, I've got an assessment or something, it's always been like, yeah, that was great, but leave a little bit more space and talk a little bit less quickly. I feel you, Joe. Yeah. I feel your pain. <laughs> my passion. Yes, yes, it just comes out. So to change the topic completely, Anthony, you've written a couple of books. Would you like to talk about that? How did that come it's about? It's actually just one. We re-released it in a, in a different title. Um, so, yeah, look, I wrote that book in 2006, actually right when all this stuff was going on with Dominique that we discussed earlier and... Look, that was just something that I'd kind of felt like I really wanted to do at probably four or five years before that. And it was just an opportunity really to put all my teaching, all the things that I'd been teaching in our courses and so on together. And it sounds like it might have been a good way to process what was happening yeah. to you at the time as well. Yeah, yeah, it was. There was a chapter in there on that, so I, which I added in. I kind of, I'd finished the book, just about finished the book when, when that all went down. So. But if you, if you take into account the masses of notes and writing and the con contribution that Anthony's made to the teacher training program in the philosophy sections. More than two books. I, I very <laughs> much enjoyed the philosophy uh, section as well. <laughs> Would you like to kind of tell us about how you've seen the yoga landscape change in Melbourne and maybe where you see it evolving to in the future? Mm, nice. I don't have a crystal ball, so the, the future... The oh, future, you don't see I that in your meditation? No, I think the future is a, a bit of an unknown entity, but when you've been around for nearly 20 years, plugging away at something, we've had time to spread influence, um, for, for lack of a better word. We've just had you know sheer volumes of amazing people through what is honestly, it's the toughest teacher training course that I know of and I've run teacher trainings overseas that was part of my job when I was over there and Melanie and I make the course it's deliberately difficult so it takes a quality of it takes commitment and quality of character to get to the end of it so where I'm going with that I suppose is it's sort of natural that that's going to bring out the best in people and then the people that are then our alumni out there. I'm super grateful to them. They're giving us a really good name. Thank you, everyone, for <laughs> doing such a good job. But more importantly, they're serving the yoga. That's, that's our job is we're just part of a chain, part of a continuum of yogis and yoga teachers along eons, and it makes me really happy. It's very humbling and embarrassing, but also just a beautiful thing to hear of the amazing work that our graduates are doing out there and it makes me super proud of the course and and what we do here as well you've been teaching a long time and you've been teaching teachers for a long time and we've kind of spoken about the importance of remaining an eternal student and always being open to learning more and of course your own practice being a part of that do you have any other suggestions around sustainability and longevity as a teacher? Because it's not always an easy life and often it's quite a solo path, especially if you aren't a part of a big studio and you're just a solo teacher doing a thing all over town. I think you have to make peace really quickly with the fact that you're going to have peaks and troughs in your practice and your teaching and your relationship to all of that continually. And you have to be okay with that, otherwise you're going to get really frustrated and, and throw in the towel. And also 
this is this is easy for me to say 20 years down the track. That's why I'm asking the question. <laughs> <laughs> but I, the mistake I see a lot of teachers making is getting out of their teacher training course. And this, this comes from, you know, a really good good place, a good intention in these people, but they end up burning out, doing too much too soon. And whilst it's, I think it's fantastic to be hungry for trainings and workshops and all of that, you need time to metabolise the foundation training that you've done. So when people come to me just at the end of the course and say, what's next? I'm like, take a year off and let yourself metabolise and appreciate the fact that you've gotten through this relatively unscathed and you've, <laughs> you've achieved just this. And just having fun. Don't take yourself too seriously. Don't take it all so seriously. If you feel yourself getting frustrated with... One of my most revered teachers is a, a guy by the name, a gentleman by the name of Sri O.P. Tuari, who is the head of the Kuvalyananda Institute in Lonavala, who uh, is my pranayam teacher, Ayurveda teacher, and just all-round superstar. And I actually have forgotten where I was going with that, Ronnie. Right? Hey, everyone, it's like a lecture. I finish my sentence. She can think about what she's going to... Look, I, I would say... Um, that to to make you really need to keep your own some kind of practice up and and you do need to keep learning because see if if you're not learning uh, kind of pretty much ongoing then and practicing then you get the then you get stale you really easily and if you're not living it yourself then your your classes are going to end up the same and it's just not going to have the same the same life and energy behind it so i think it in order to stick around in anything you need to you need to ha- have your own practice whatever that is and but also keep learning and keep yourself fresh and growing so that you can bring new stuff in like and, and keep it interesting for you because if you're not you're just going to be doing the same thing over and over again and you're going to get over it you know so i think that they're two really important important things to for teachers to keep themselves going and i've remembered where i was there going you know. with that story i just needed to acknowledge tuari because it's something he says over and over again is that tension is the number two obstacle to yoga. If you allow yourself to start getting tense and uptight and rigid and taking it all too seriously, that's when the joy and the fun evaporates and you're definitely going to not be enjoying your teaching. You're going to feel stale. You're going to feel burnt out if you let yourself abide in that headspace for too long. So I think, you know, sometimes it's about shrugging your shoulders, giving maybe giving yourself permission to to implement these yoga principles in different areas of your life. And, you know, definitely, as Anthony said, if another amazing teacher that he and I have both have a lot of respect for is um, John Martini. One of my favourite quotes from him is, when you're green, you're growing, and when you're ripe, you rot. So, um, you know, keep studying, keep learning, and learning about yourself and who you are as as well. And that's where the practice... Because learning can also be a trap, and I know this because that's what I love to do, and I I can do that all day, every day. But the, the problem is, is that that can be just another way of not doing the work. And so you feel like you're doing the work because you're getting more information and more knowledge, but it, that is not enough. Like you need to also reflect on what you're learning and try and make sense of it and integrate it so you can you can share it. So that time of the integration within the self and the reflection and the, and the work 
applying it is is critical, not just getting the information. Like you need to do it. It ends up being a form of spiritual materialism or intellectual materialism, if you like, where you're just out acquiring knowledge and acquiring courses and acquiring workshops and acquiring books. Mm. It's wonderful, but you know, unless yeah, and you know, and 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 again, to to give all credit to my teacher Tuari, he defines the practice of yoga as integration of the personality so and and that is was just such a light bulb moment for me because I think so many people on this path and I did this too I absolutely did this and I was such a pain in the ass to all my friends and family for at least three months you become a yogi or yoga teacher for for me anyway no more drinking no more swearing (laughs) I'm Nothing but peace, love, mung beans, amethyst crystals and a pin-up poster girl for Yoga Journal and, and Lululemon. And that's not who I am. It's not who I am. I gave it a red-hot go. I think a lot of people do this. You try to fit into what you think yeah. is this ideal and then you're miserable. Whereas well, you when you feel like a failure. Yes, it just sets and you up. It, it's yeah. not you, it's not you. It's, it sets you up for disaster. Whereas when you remember that the, the practice is, it's not disavowing aspects of your personality. It's not denying who you are. It's actually even, even the parts of you that maybe you're a little bit prickly, mm. a little bit bossy, a little bit boisterous, whatever it is. I don't know anything about those three things. <laughs> um, but actually looking at them and making friends with them and realising they're actually valuable parts of your personality that's that integration I think that Tuaraji is is pointing to and then you've just made peace with yourself and that's critical so you you can't when you're denying trying to get rid of something in yourself then actually what you do is you make it come up more Uh, anything you try and destroy or get remove will show you that that's not possible and it actually becomes more of an issue and you'll find yourself doing the thing that you don't want to do more frequently. The only way past that is to actually own it, integrate it within yourself. And when you do that, then you get to choose whether you use that particular quality or not. But but before you integrate it, and if, especially if you're judging it and want to get rid of it, then you'll find yourself enacting that more completely uncontrollably and then beating yourself up because you're going, well, I'm just doing, I'm doing what I don't want to be doing. And it's a vicious cycle. And so it's the opposite of what you would think. So it's only, it's only through actually owning it, really integrating it, rather than judging it, trying to get rid of it, that you actually then get control over it. So it's actually really something very important. And I'm sure this is probably true for all aspects of who you are. Mm. But for me, that really rings true with the quality of like anger. Yeah, because it's, absolutely. I know a lot of people who maybe have issues and with think, managing think their that anger. It's bad and we should be getting rid of it. Yeah, yeah, and come to yoga yeah. because they want to be less stressed and less angry or even put off yeah. coming to yoga because they feel like they're going to lose their edge yeah. if perhaps they're in a competitive work environment or something. But it actually just gives you the well, tools yeah. to manage that. And, and know when to use it. So there is a, there's a time to be hard and be firm with, with you know, in situations. But... If you haven't integrated it, then you, it comes uncontro- it comes out uncontrollable. It will always be reactive. It, yeah, that's right. So, so it's not about a matter of like yeah, getting rid of it and, and not being having access to it. It's actually the opposite. It, it's 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 enabling you to actually be able to use it constructively, rather than it taking over you, and then it comes out destructively. So, in in making friends with all mm. the seemingly disparate aspects of your personality, to me, that's what unconditional love 
really is for yourself. And when you do that, you then become the master of your personality traits instead of them being in charge of you and you being a slave to them all the time. It's really just such a big part for, for us of what the practice really is. Because mm. um, there, there might be a day, I, st- I joke, I say, I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. Mm. There might come a day where I don't express myself in this way. But as long as I'm remembering mentally and emotionally the r- real work of the yoga, then even one day when and if the asana component in this particular expression drops away, the yoga still hasn't left you. Well, but, yeah, and you know, I mean the, that, that's just a form anyway. Mm. You know, the, the, what you know, teaching, having a studio, or teaching classes, or you know, teaching meditation, or running a course. I mean, they're all just you know a form of manifesting the purpose you know and that's not the purpose you know the purpose is not to be a yoga teacher you know the purpose is to share wisdom and and, you know that that can help people transform their lives and and so you can do that in a variety in as many ways that you can imagine over a lifetime i think that's um actually a really interesting thing to talk about when it comes to people doing yoga teacher training and and going out there for those people to remember that sometimes the best yoga teachers aren't the ones that are standing at the front of the room full of mats all in a row I know some amazing yoga teachers who they teach just by virtue of being themselves in their office or in their garden or in their kitchen whatever it is and to remember that as well I think those are actually the the the, the yoga dirty bombs the um, <laughs> the the teachers in disguise that are really sort of potentially powerful transformative oh, forces beautiful yeah. example and then there's also the people in your life who are really challenging yeah. <laughs> in the yoga lessons absolutely as well. absolutely our greatest teachers as well but I think that we do our you know I think that you know, yes there's one form of teaching but there's nothing better than actually just living what you're what you're teaching, you know, and 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 you can have all the words, and you can know how to speak the principles, but if it's if if you're not actually living it, then it doesn't it doesn't touch people in the same way. It doesn't hit people in the same way. I think that so I think that you know if 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 you can just live it, that's the the the, the number one thing. And you know I think that's something we're really you know, I think is really important, you know, to us is, is of, of getting your own, your own house in order. Focusing on changing yourself. It's very easy to focus on all the things going wrong in the world and thinking we need to change everything out there. But sometimes that can actually be a, a deflection away from what you really need to do. And I think that where, if we focus on changing ourselves, that's how we change the world. You know, one, one person that can truly activate themselves and become fully aware and fully integrated can have the most extraordinarily huge impact on the world. So I think what we actually need to do is focus on that. If you focus on changing yourself, getting all your house in order, and then what you do with that will kind of take care of itself, like, and that will spread out without you even really needing to try or do anything, you know. So I think that rather than focusing on out there, we really need to turn all that focus to ourselves and and get our own house in order, you know. I don't know if you remember this from the teacher training, but one of the first things that is taught during the teacher training is the teaching shantipat or the, the prayer. And at the end of that, as is traditional at the end of all of the shlokas, we finish with Om Shanti Shanti Shanti. And I love Sanskrit. I'm getting goosebumps 
um, just talking about it because it is just so polished, it's so perfect, as you know, that's what the word Sanskrit means. But there's so much potency in every single syllable. And if we understand that Om Shanti Shanti and what it really means, you, you get the yoga. Now, those three Shantis, that first sphere of Shanti or peace, integrating your personality, making peace with yourself, taking responsibility for cleaning up your own little patch of the world, when you're really entrenched in that space, then you start to have that positive effect on the people, your family, your tribe, your colleagues. You don't even realise you're doing it. You're just being yourself, but being an integrated, unconditionally loving person. You touch those people around you. And then that third shanti, this greater world peace that we all sort of like to wax lyrical about and talk about, that takes care of itself when each individual yeah. in that cell of the yeah. body of humanity is owning that first yeah. sphere of shanti. And it's it, to me that's, you know, really what it's what it's all about. It's important to remember because, it, you know, change always actually happens from individuals not like we look to to politics and things like that but actually politicians have never changed never really done anything they only follow what's going on on the ground and so if individuals need to change and as the individuals change then the the structures and the politics and the organizations have to change to go with what where the people are but it's easy to like i said to get lost on all the problems in the world and and then you feel like you can't do anything but this way, if you instead focus on yourself, then you can do everything about that. We might have already discussed it already, but I was just wondering if you could distill, you know, everything you've learned, everything you've taught, you know, everything you want to bring out into the world into one core thing, what would that thing be? I think it's probably what we were just talking about, change yourself, change the world. And also that what we should be focusing on is, is expanding our capacity for understanding and unconditional love as opposed to judgment. And I think that that's the core of the teachings and that's that's the core of the te- of, of any true, you know, spiritual, religious teachings. The basis of it all is that. And our task is to transcend our judgments over time and hopefully judge less and understand and love more, you know, and I think that that's the, that's the core teaching and that's certainly what we're all about and and the one thing that we you know want to want to share and what we do share and that starts with you one of my greatest teachers is actually a fabulous drag queen by the name of RuPaul Charles (laughs) (laughs) who I just worship and adore and her cutaway line at the end of every show which I watch religiously if you can't love yourself how in the hell can you love anyone else and that starts with you integrate yourself Get your shit together. Be okay with who you are. Live that. That's it. That's it. And just to like add to the RuPaul love, (laughs) quoting, take those things that maybe other people have teased you about, or maybe you feel self-conscious about, and truly like step into it and own it, and then they become your superpowers. Yes, Queen. (laughs) Words. Oh, absolutely, Joe. Fantastic. Oh, thank you so much, guys. There's so much uh, good, great wisdom in, in this conversation, so I can't wait to share it. So thanks, guys. Oh, thanks, thanks, very thanks much for, for having, having us. us. It's an absolute pleasure. So I hope you enjoyed our conversation with the Salernos. As I said at the beginning, I learned a lot about the two of them, and it was a really fun conversation. 
Our next episode is an interview with artist, photographer and mindfulness practitioner Joe Tito. Joe has a unique vision of the world and she aims to inspire, uplift and heal through nature and creativity. We speak to her about her background growing up Māori in New Zealand, the nature of creativity and how she brings mindfulness and indigenous spirituality into her work as an artist. It's a great episode and I can't wait to share it with you. Now, as always, our theme song is Baby Robots by Ghost Soul and used with permission. Get us stuff from ghostsoul.bandcamp.com. Thanks so much for listening. You'll hear from us in two weeks' time. Please don't forget to vote for us in the Australian Podcast Awards. Aroha nui. Big, big love.